325 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was engineered on Thursday, April 6, 2023. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. In other words, they make the kind of bikes that they want to ride. Turn has e-bikes for every type of rider, whether you're commuting, taking your kids to school, or even carrying another adult. Visit www.turnbicycles.com, that's T-E-R-N, bicycles.com, to learn more. I'm Carlton Reed, and on today's show, I'm talking bicycling benchmarking with Rebecca Davis, Programme Director of the Cycling Ranking System City Ratings, which has been assessing the bicycling friendliness of cities since 2017, and that's an international initiative from US Bicycle Advocacy Group, People for Bikes of Boulder, Colorado. And joining Rebecca from here in the UK is bike industry veteran Malcolm Davis of Trek, based out of Milton Keynes. Uh, you two, I've got a complaint to make. I don't know who wants to take this. Uh, uh, Malcolm, who's in the UK, or Rebecca, uh, who is in Boulder, Colorado. But my complaint is your website or the website for City of Bikes, the, the city ratings, says uh, put your city in here and, and get the details on it. I put Newcastle in and I got not a sausage. So I'd like to register a complaint. What do I do? What does Newcastle have to do to get on the city ratings program? to make cycling in Newcastle better? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we have an option on our website. There's a form that says add my city and um, anyone can navigate to that form and then enter um, just a little bit of information about the city they want added. And then we take that into account when we update results in the future um, for the city ratings. So typically annually. Um, and so that would be the best way to to get your city added. We try to add as many as we can. So there are limitations sometimes, but um, but that's the that's the best way to do it. Well, it is phenomenally comprehensive. I'm, I'm not really complaining <laughs> um, because it, it's something that Newcastle is going to have to to get its skates on and actually uh, uh, do. Um, because the comprehensive in that London is very comprehensively uh, covered, and we will get on to to that. But first of all, Jen, um, Rebecca, tell us who you are because. Uh, you're the programs director for City Ratings, yes? People for Bikes program. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Um, I'm the City Ratings program director. So um, I spend a lot of time on um, on the data and both generating the data and helping people understand the data and um, working with my colleagues to communicate how the data you know, connects to um, changes that cities can make to improve uh, bike networks um, in their city. And one of your colleagues is Jen. So I do apologize for saying Jen in that uh, uh, reply to you, because Jen, I have talked to Jen before uh, from, 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 from People for Bikes. Great. So just for those who don't know what People for Bikes is, you are an American organization. So just give us a thumbnail sketch of what People for Bikes is, and, and, and perhaps more pertinently, or as pertinent anyway, is where you got your cash from. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's kind of a two-part answer. To, to that question. So People for Bikes is a national bike advocacy organization based in the U.S. And we, um, we're we both a nonprofit organization. 
that does bike advocacy and but we're also a trade group for the bike industry so um, we have um, over 300 industry members who support our work um, but we're supported both both by the both by the industry members and then also by um, grants and charitable donations that allow us to you know, expand the scope of our advocacy work including um, our kind of data-driven infrastructure analysis work represented by the city rating and Malcolm I, I know where you fit in here uh, but let, let's let you you tell the listeners where you fit in here. Why why is uh, Malcolm Davis on this show uh, with Rebecca? Yeah, sure. So I so I'm Malcolm Davis. I'm a, a long time Trek bicycle employee. Um, worked for Trek since the early early 1990s. Um, recently retired, fairly recently retired, um, and I um, now look after advocacy and Trek's initiatives around getting more people to ride and making it better for people to ride their bikes. John Burke, uh, Trek's John Burke, uh, has been a massive, massive um, bicycle advocate and, and, and pushing the industry forward with organisations like People of a Bike. Is that a fair characterization that, that John was massively into advocacy before maybe other industry leaders were? I, I think that's a reasonable characterization. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, John uh, has been a real um, presence in the industry for many, many years. Um, you know, certainly in my tenure, it was always something that he's been very passionate about, continues to be passionate about, continues to speak publicly about and tries to motivate the industry to do more to, you know, to enhance the experience of cyclists the, the world over. And Malcolm, you might have been retired, but you, you, you will keep your finger on the pulse. You, you will know uh, intimately that the bike industry is not exactly doing very well at the moment. So we need more bums on seats. We need more people to get on bikes probably than ever before because, because we're kind of in the doldrums here. I think it's an, in, it's an interesting time. I mean, I think we all know that the, the industry had a, a real uplift as a, as a part of something that people could do during the, the COVID crisis. And then there's been a bit of a lull since. I think you and I have been in the bicycle industry in the UK and, and internationally for a long time. And we've seen these peaks and troughs many times before. Um, they're not they're not unusual to us or, or many colleagues. Um, the, the reality is, I think, that if you look at the user data, people actually riding, that has not dipped. People, people went out and they, they maybe bought some bikes. Um, but they literally, um, I apologize, my dog is kicking off. So I think that the people are out there riding bikes and I think there is good usership data that shows that. So, you know, let's not get too disheartened that the industry is having a bit of a bit of a downturn, having had a big boom. Um, it will come back. More people all over the world are seeing the bicycle as a good solution for their their transport needs, their leisure needs, whatever it is. And they are they are using bikes and riding all the time, which is great. We want we want more. We won't ask you one more, but in your role, are you a Trek person or a bike advocate I, I, I am a Trek. Yeah, I am a Trek. I am employed by Trek to look after their European advocacy initiatives yeah. and represent Trek in various places uh, you know, in the industry. And apart from Trek um, supporting and um, being a massive uh, supporter of people for bikes, uh, was there any greater involvement on the, the, the city ratings program from Trek? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that work we we work together. I've worked, for, you know, over the last couple of years with Rebecca and the team in in uh, in the US to try and figure out a way that we can 
do what they're doing in the US and make it useful and meaningful. So, you know, we talked right at the beginning about a great deal of detail in and around London. That was something that was very much driven by us and, and by me, because I think, it, you know, as you can imagine, saying the rating of London is mm. kind of meaningless when you have such a big um, geographical space, both in, in terms of number of people who live there, but also the way that it's structured. Mm. And, and you and I know that, riding in one place in London is very different to riding in another. And I, so I, I, we wanted to get into the detail a bit to make the, the analysis more meaningful um, to people. And so we focused, we focused our effort in on, in on London. We focused our effort on the West Midlands. We focused our effort on Manchester. Well, all those cities have, have put in, uh, have invested in bike infrastructure. So Manchester with the, with the B lines and Chris Boardman and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, West Midlands with with a mayor who, who's very proactive on on active travel, and then of course London, famously, uh, well, starting with Ken Livingstone, then Boris Johnson, and then the, the, the current mayor, City Khan, is is also um, pro. So those those the, that's the reason that you you've gone for those cities. It's it's not you know low hanging fruit. This city could be great if they did this. It's they've put in the infrastructure. We're going to focus on them. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily correct that we because they've put in the infrastructure because we know for a fact that some areas of London have put in the infrastructure and done an excellent job. If we talk about Hackney or we talk about Waltham Forest, for example, um, but if we talk about you know our friends Rob Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, we can clearly see that, they, that, that they've done nothing. They've done their best to avoid it. So it, you know there was some there was some considerable value in understanding the detail. Uh, and being able to present the detail in a way that people could say, well, look, look what happens here and look what the experiences are. You know, this is by no means, and, and I think Rebecca would, would certainly confirm this. We're not, we're not saying this is definitively how cycling is in a, in a, in a situation, in a location. We are saying here's a, here's a way of measuring what we currently have. And you can definitely challenge that measurement. You can definitely challenge that output. But it's a way of making a comparison and seeing how things sit. Um, we can also say, if you look at some of our scores, compared to many US cities, we're, we're in pretty good shape. But if you start looking at, you know, as we know, the cities in the Netherlands or in Denmark or elsewhere on the European mainland, we're, we're also way off the pace in many areas. So it, it's, a, it's a way of promoting a conversation or provoking a conversation, I should say, um, that, that we're looking at here. And Get started. And Rebecca, you, you, uh, People for Bikes has been doing this since 2017. So this this is basically an annual thing. So the, the information that's on, on the website is current as of end of last year, yeah, uh, 2022. Yeah, uh, correct. We, we updated results for the locations in the UK at actually the beginning of 2023 um but but yes um yeah we we generally release results annually and um we had a separate release for u.s cities and other in an international cities um in this past year but in the future we'll um, combine those and, and release results and update them all at the same time once a year now, just, just let, let's, we'll get on to some american cities in a moment but just get, kind of like sticking to, to european cities so you've, you've got um, the number one is actually the Hague. So I'm going to, you can tell me what this means, but I'll just, I'll just say the numbers for now. So the Hague is just under 89 in, in the city ratings. That's out of 100, I'm assuming. Uh, Utrecht, 84. Amsterdam, 82. 
And then, you know, coming almost out of nowhere, rather famously, is Paris, uh, which has got 82, which is it's like two... Uh, two hundredths of a point uh, uh, as close to Amsterdam, which is an amazing um, transformation uh, that Paris has made. So in your tracking since 2017, can I go back and, and, and can I graph Paris's trajectory and see how, in effect, they're, they're, they're about to overtake Amsterdam? So we unfortunately don't have the international data for that whole span of time, uh, because when we started, we started with a, a smaller set of U.S. cities, and then we grew that that number over a few years. And then um, just a couple of years ago, we started adding international cities to the data. So we don't have as much of a time horizon, um, unfortunately, for international cities, but it's definitely something we'll be able to build up now um, as we update the results mm. for these places annually. So we'll get to start to see that um, change over time. Although we had uh, we had run Paris a couple times before, and you could see the improvement, you know, as it, it really tracked with a lot of the um, what we were hearing as far as you know um, anecdotes and stories and reporting out of um, Paris about everything that's being done. And I, I was lucky enough to have the chance to um, to see a lot of that. In, I visited in late 2019 um, and to, to see a lot of the change underway. So um, yeah, so it was it's really been a, a great example of of a place that that's changing quickly and is ref- that is reflected in our our city ratings scores, but it was just just over, over a relatively short period of, of time. I was throwing out just a whole bunch of numbers there, which which in effect are quite meaningless. Eighty two, <laughs> eighty four, eighty two. Sure. What uh, what does it mean? What what does eighty two mean? Berlin's got seventy seven. Uh, tell me exactly. I mean, let's, let's see. London has an average of 49. I mean, I'm, it's, as Malcolm was saying, some boroughs are going to be much higher than that. Hackney, you know, places will be higher than that. Um, but just generally, what, what do those figures mean? How do you get there? And, and who is doing it? Who is physically looking at these, uh, these data points? Yeah, so those are all great questions. So, um, so there are two main inputs to our city ratings this year. And um, that's a community survey where we ask people how they feel about bicycling in their city. Um, But the biggest input is um, a metric from um, what a tool we have called the Bicycle Network Analysis. And um, we actually didn't field the community survey in all international places, but we did field it um, throughout the places we measured in England. So England has that combination of this community survey where we ask people what they think about bicycling, where they live, and combine that with our our network analysis measure. But most of the other international locations, we just did the network analysis measure. So there's a a, a slight difference there. Um, uh, The network analysis was worth 100% of the score, for instance, in a place like The Hague, but worth 80% of the score in um, the boroughs and cities of England. So that's just some context there. but as far as that network analysis, the bicycle network analysis, so what it is, is a piece of software, essentially custom software. We um, we built uh, some years back, um, back in 2017, it was completed. And it uh, essentially evaluates the quality and connectivity of bike infrastructure in a given area. Usually that area is a, a city or borough that we're looking at. Um, so it's saying, you know, given the conditions on the road, 
whether there are, you know, how many lanes are there for cars? Um, are there safe crossings? What's the speed limit? Um, is there any bike infrastructure? What kind of bike infrastructure? It takes all of those things into account um, and then either assigns the street as low or high stress, given those other factors. Um, and then it, of course, includes things, uh, paths, too, that might be disconnected from the street, but are um, but allow bikes. Um, so, uh, so, so it evaluates every single every single path and street throughout the given area. Um, and then it says, okay, well, well, can people bike from where they live to places they need to go using only what we consider to be low stress or comfortable um, bike routes? And when we say comfortable, we really mean for the average person, not necessarily the average person biking today, but the average person in general. And we know there are a lot of people who don't ride bikes because they're, they feel unsafe, right? Because of the conditions on the road. Um, that there's not enough bike infrastructure or it's not sufficiently separated from motor vehicle traffic. And so, you know, they don't get on a bike. So we want to think about, well, well, what gets those folks on a bike? And so that's the standard we want to use for what counts as comfortable, high quality bike infrastructure. So, um, so it runs that analysis saying, okay, if you start from um, the area, if people start from the area they live and they want to get to their school or their job or the grocery store, can they make that trip on a bike? safely and comfortably. And if they can, the software awards points. And if they can't, um, it doesn't. And it repeats this calculation over and over throughout a given area to get um, to eventually aggregate into this total score um, for, for, the whole, for the whole region. Um, so that's essential. So a 100 in our network analysis would mean that you can start from anywhere in the city and get anywhere else using completely safe, connected, comfortable, um, bikeways. That, that's what that would mean. And um, in practice, we, you know, no, no city scores 100. <laughs> um, but uh, the best get into the low 90s, yeah, upper, upper 80s, as we see here, yeah, almost, almost 90. Um, but uh, so if, if sorry, sorry for, yeah, if, if, if this was a motoring advocacy organization, imagine history is completely flipped. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, bicycles are in the ascendancy, and it, it's the bicycle uh, lobbyist groups who are are doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this was a a, a a motoring lobby organization, do you think there are any cities that are at a hundred for motorists? You think all cities are at a hundred for motorists? Where, where is cycling in the pecking order? Do you think? Yeah, I love that question. Um, I've never received it before, <laughs> and uh, you know. In, in some way, you know, it's kind of interesting because you might think, well, it's the opposite, but that's not really the case because there are, we know that, I mean, research shows that when you make cities safer for people riding bikes, those improvements make cities safer for people who walk and people who drive as well. A lot of the improvements that, that make a road safe are important for, for people who drive too. So, um, if we're saying that a city that's good for driving is a city that's safe for driving, where we don't have um, a lot of negative outcomes, you know, uh, fatalities or serious injuries, um, then then actually that would be, you know, often um, some of the same cities that are good good for bicycling. These things are not um, inherently at odds. Now, if you, if the goal was, well, we we don't care about safety outcomes. All we care about is how fast somebody can get somewhere. You know, that's a different that's a different measure. But um, but even then, you know, having cities that move cars quickly sometimes 
um, are also cities that have um, at times have a lot of congestion. So by what, by which I mean, maybe you have built your roads to make it easy for cars to go as fast as possible. But the reality is, if that means a lot of people end up driving, then that actually slows everybody down because now everybody's driving hmm. <laughs> and the cars and the roads congested. So it's so not, could you could uh, you have a city that's a hundred for motoring and a hundred for cycling as well? I know this is all theoretical, sorry, <laughs> but just, just 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 treat it as like an experiment, a thought experiment. You know, could you have a city that's fantastic for motoring and fantastic for cycling at the same time in some sort of uh, weird utopia? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because it's really at the end of the day, you want people to be able to move between different modes safely and comfortably. Um, uh, to be that, no matter what way they're getting around that it's going to be safe and they have efficient options. I mean, it's efficiency, you know, whatever, whatever combination of modes that is, you know, you want them to be able to have an efficient trip. Um, and I think an efficient and safe trip. And so all of those things need to work together. All of the modes need to be complementary in order for that to happen. So, um, so yeah, I do. I think, I think the ideal is a place where all of those things work together harmoniously um yeah so yeah so i'm thinking of say somewhere like los angeles but with loads of bike paths so i'm, I'm going to flip it to malcolm and and because we're uh, uh, rebecca we're kind of uh, we, we're european so we kind of probably have a, a slightly different perspective on you know how you you, you kind of have cars and, and bicycles interacting uh, on on perhaps even medieval streets so so malcolm the same question to you really could do you think you could have a, a hyper-connected car city, just as the same as you could have a hyper-connected bike city. And could you even have that in Europe, considering you know we our cities are, are already built, and 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 you, you probably can't have that hyper-connected car city. I I think you know the the word Rebecca didn't use perhaps what she was alluding to is balance, isn't it? You've got to find a balance between the different modes of transport. And that, that's all modes of transport, all the, all the ways people get around from walking to cycling to cars to public transport. If you really wanted to have a, a, a utopia city, let's say, all of those things would have to be in balance. And, and what you have right now is an imbalance, mm. right? Because you have, you know, excess cars, you have, you have congestion, you have inefficient public transport, you have inefficient and you know, high risk in many cases, uh, infrastructure not suitable for people to, to ride on. So I, I think you can. I think you can make a difference. Um, you can Im massively improve the, um, the, the transport network for people walking and cycling and even for public transport. But in order to do that, you are going to face the reality that you're probably going to take some space away from cars, from automotive. That doesn't mean, though, that you're going to make it worse for, for cars, because actually what you'll do by getting more people onto bicycles and walking and into public transport is you will take cars off the road. So mm. there'll be fewer cars. Yes, there'll be less space, but there'll be significantly fewer of them. So, you know, I, I actually think you can make a difference in that way. And I think uh, there are num you know, a number of examples all around Europe. There are even examples in, in, in England and the UK where that's happening and, and you're seeing the benefits. Um, and, and what you're also seeing is that the people who live there, the residents, really like it. They really they love it. They're really happy with it. I mean, you don't, you know, one of the things we always say is, is 
do, do you ever see the people of, of Amsterdam or Copenhagen or Utrecht asking to take away the bike paths? And I don't think I've ever heard that happen. No one's really doing that. Mm. And so there is, there is value in that conversation. But it's, it is a hard conversation because you are starting from a premise that, yeah, if you want to make more bicycle infrastructure or walking infrastructure, you're probably going to have to take some space away from automotive. Rebecca, that's kind of not what you were saying. But do, do you want to do you want to come back to that one? Because because <laughs> what Malcolm is saying, you need to take space away from motorists. And, and you were saying, no, you can have you can have both. You can have great motoring infrastructure and bike infrastructure at the same time. To, so- to be fair, that might be. <laughs> That might be a, a difference between Europe and the US. Well, exactly. I would like to, te- I'd like to tease space. that out. Exactly. I, I'd, I'd like yeah. to find out, is that a European perspective? And, and, and me and Malcolm come at this in a different way, Rebecca. And do you come at this from a US perspective? So, so, so talk me through that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I completely agree with everything Malcolm's saying. And I think it is true. Um, we have roads in the US that are far too wide. Um, even some of our neighborhood streets are just... Uh, absurdly wide. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy um, how, how wide some of our streets are. And we know that wider streets lead people to drive faster, which results in poor safety outcomes for all road users. Um, so we do need to think, rethink how we reallocate space. And, you know, I'd even argue a city that we definitely think of as a very car centric city, Los Angeles. And it's, it's true that um, it, it can be hard to get around without a car there. Um, it's not necessarily a great city for driving. I've lived there and I've spent, you know, you spend a lot of time sitting in traffic on highways and there are a lot of roads that are pretty frightening to drive on. Um, and it's not always very efficient <laughs> to drive. Um, and in fact, often it isn't, but it's just your only choice. Um, so I don't think it's a city that's working well for cars either. Um, and uh, it would it could it would be just such a fabulous city for bikes, you know, if it had the bike infrastructure it needs. It's it's flat, it's sunny, <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, it's actually quite densely populated, um, despite despite being spread out in many ways. It's there's a lot of high density in certain parts. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think the conditions are different, you know, because a lot of um, U.S. cities were built. Um, when, you know, the car was already around and, um, access growing, you know, growing in accessibility, um, as far as affordability to a lot of people, um, a lot of cities were built around cars and really subsidized driving and continue to subsidize driving through how the city is designed. Um, so I think there's a difference that way in kind of what we're starting with and, um, um, and I'm, I'm envious of (laughs) cities that more of the cities that, you know, developed, um, to a greater extent before, you know, cars were as widespread because some of their conditions are better suited for a uh, more multimodal kind of transportation. Um, but, but I definitely agree that there has to be a reallocation of space um, in order to achieve that, that correct balance. It's very imbalanced in a lot of cities that have given 90 over 90% of the travel space to driving alone, and that hasn't resulted in great outcomes. It's resulted in congestion. Um, it's resulted in lack of choice for people when they, you know, really their only option is to drive. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't say it's it's not it's not making for an efficient system. <laughs> so yeah, so I think I think we're very much aligned on on that, and um, and then and the needs in that regard are are similar between cities around the world, but there are certainly different starting points, um, given that a lot of cities have very different kind of uh, designs. 
For sure. Now, I know that on your website, you talk about road diets. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's something that is, is, you know, what you're talking about there, you know, reducing um, road widths, because you've got some very wide, and we're going to talk about strodes and what and what that means uh, to to a European, which we, we probably don't uh, come across that term as 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 much as an American does. Uh, but first of all, I'd like to go across to my colleague uh, for an ad break. Hello, everyone. This is David from the Fredcast, and of course, the spokesman. And I'm here once again to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn build bikes that make it easier for you to replace car trips with bike trips. Part of that is being committed to designing useful bikes that are also fun to ride. But an even greater priority for Turn is to make sure that your ride is safe and worry-free. And that's why Turn works with industry-leading third-party testing labs like EFBE and builds its bikes around Bosch e-bike systems, which are UL certified for both electric and fire safety. So before you even zip off on your turn, fully loaded and perhaps with a loved one behind, you can be sure that the bike has been tested to handle the extra stresses on the frame and the rigors of the road. For more information, visit www.turnbicycles.com to learn more. And now back to the spokesman. Thanks, David. And uh, we're here with uh, Malcolm Davis, and we're here with uh, Rebecca Davis. You know, you're not related, are you? So, t- no. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. no, no, mm-hmm. just the same second name, completely different uh, geography. Okay, uh, just, 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 just get that settled. Now, before the the, the ad break, I was asking uh, Rebecca uh, about Strode's and the road diet. So, first of all, for anybody who's who's unfamiliar with that term, Strode, Rebecca, can you can you tell us what that means? Sure. Yeah. So a strode is the idea that, you know, you have some roads are built or in theory are built more for moving cars more quickly, like a a highway um, that has limited access where there aren't many ways to get on the highway. You know, there's there's on ramps here and there, but you can't it's not that, you know, not every street allows you to to access that highway Um, might cross under it or over it, but um, doesn't necessarily allow you on. So there's there's limited access. roadways. And then there are streets, which tend to be in more densely populated areas and are, um, you know, facilitating travel for shorter distances and slower speeds. So, um, you know, these are places that maybe, maybe it's a street grid with lots of um, intersections. And so there's a lot more activity on streets. And the idea with a strode is that it's a kind of unfortunate combination of both of those things and not achieving either of their aims very well. <laughs> um, it's a road that's sort of built in many ways like a highway in that it's supposed to try to move cars quickly through an area, but it's it's not limited access. It has a number of intersections with other streets. Um, and so um, so you end up with this, this, this sort of uh, the, the worst worst kind of combination where it's quite dangerous because it's built for moving cars quickly, but it actually might have a decent amount of activity. It might have, um, you know, shops or residences along the street and um, intersections along the way, a lot of intersections. Um, and those often might not have very safe controls on them. Um, we see there are quite a few strodes in the U.S. that don't have, don't even have sidewalks, um, so it's, mm. or if they, if they do, the distances between crossings are so far that people just cross in the middle of the street, you know, and they could be crossing a five, six, seven lane road. 
Um, and, and that's you know, very, very dangerous. So, um, yeah, so they just make for a really both inefficient and kind of unsafe um, uh, type of roadway. Um, and that that hasn't decided whether it's a street or a highway. <laughs> and, and, and does the road diet, does that cure a city of strodes? Is that something that is anti-strode? Um, it's can help rethink, you know, what that space is meant to be. I think it's important for people to be intentional about what that road needs to become, um, whether it's that usually, yeah, turning it more into a, a street and thinking about what its main purpose is, you know, is its purpose to move cars quickly or is its purpose to help people um, travel locally in the area and support the surrounding land uses? And um, it, it it's, the the land use piece I think is really important there too. You know how you build cities along these roads, um, and so it's both about reallocating that space in a thoughtful way, um, and and implementing other safety improvements. So so it might be that you reduce the width of the road, you convert a lane one lane that isn't needed um, into a um, protected bike lane, for instance. Um, but there are other improvements too, like slowing, like changing the speed limits or adding more safe crossing. So people don't have to, so people don't have to cross in the middle where there is no crossing. Um, so there's a variety of ways to improve it, um, to improve that kind of roadway, but certainly some of these overbuilt, overly wide strodes, um, it, it, you know, they just have so much excess capacity that, um, rethinking how some of that space is used is, is often an uh, important step. Mm. Now, I want to come back to Malcolm in a minute, and, and we can dig down into some uh, the, of the city ratings for, for the UK cities. Um, I'm, I'm mostly familiar with Manchester and um, with, obviously with London, not quite as familiar uh, with Birmingham. But first of all, I'd like, um, uh, Rebecca, to talk to you about, because you're in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I'm assuming, I haven't looked at the figures of your city ratings on, on your website, but I'm assuming you're either the top city uh, in the U.S. or certainly in the top three. And the, the, if I had to name the top three cities in the U.S., in, in North, if, I suppose if, I, if I widen out to North America, then I'd also add Montreal. But if I'm just going purely for uh, um, the U.S., then I would choose Boulder, Colorado, Davis, California, and Portland, Oregon as as the top three cities. And I, I know Portland, Oregon has kind of faltered in the last few years. And I know Davis, California has, you know, obviously was, was incredibly um, very bicycle friendly in the 1960s, 1970s, and has, has, for various reasons hasn't been quite so busy. And that Boulder, Colorado is the one that's taking off. Is that, again, is that characterization that I've just said there, does that, does that reflect any form of reality at all? Um, those are definitely all leaders, I would say. Um, a lot of Boulder's, uh, bi- Boulder is a, is a good city for bike by U.S. standards. And um, a lot of its network of paths was actually built a few decades back. So it got a bit of a head start. Um, I will say, you know, Boulder has a lot of these kinds of um, roads that, that need to be addressed in the same way other U.S. cities do. You know, these kind of arterial roads that, like we were talking about with Strodes, that are you know, too wide, don't have enough safe crossings, aren't really safe for biking. So it has plenty of those. Um, the city actually recently introduced a plan to focus specific, you know, their, their their transportation work on those arterial roads, because we know those are the ones with the worst outcomes um, and that people don't feel safe biking on. However, Boulder has 
the, the benefit of having invested in a network of off-street paths a few decades back and continued to build upon that path network. So, um, so if you're traveling places that are along that path network, you know, you can have some really wonderful, um, you know, bicycling um, opportunities and experiences. The challenge is those, those paths don't go everywhere in the city. So, um, so, so definitely it's a leader, um, but also still has plenty of work to do. Um, similarly, um, Davis invested, you know, was an early leader in investing in their bike, bikeway network and has continued to do so. And so that's reflected in our city ratings. Um, and, and I do, we do generally, generally try to compare across cities of similar sizes just because they have both because of how the analysis works methodologically. Um, uh, it's, it's, it, for instance, small cities tend to score a little higher um, in the rate ranking. So that's just something to keep in mind um, when you compare between cities that are of very different size. But um, yeah, among larger cities, Portland's definitely um, up, you know, one of the leaders in the top 10, but it has, it, it is, it is behind some other large cities in the U.S. Um, uh, it's neighbor to the north, Seattle, um, has in the last few years just kind of crept ahead <laughs> by a few points in our rankings. And um, so, you know, it's kind of fun, fun when you can kind of pull that sort of friendly competition out of the data and see how the cities, you know, move together or, or how one moves ahead. And Seattle's kind of pulled ahead um, in, in recent years. Um, San Francisco's also um, a bit ahead of, ahead of Portland um, at this point, but. Any other cities that are totally, maybe people were obviously heard of the cities, but wouldn't have put them down as a, you know, a, an up and coming bicycling city. Any surprises in the data? You know, it's a great question. There's, uh, there are some cities that um, are doing all the right things and are making great progress, but aren't very high in our rankings. And that can be because, because you know, they're they're very much in the, their their work is underway. But also, some of them are starting from a harder starting point. So, for instance, Austin. Texas is a city doing a lot of great work um, to build out their bike network. Um, but, you know, it's a city also starting from a tough place in terms of, you know, it's a very, a very large city um, that's experienced a ton of growth and has a lot of, you know, starting from a very um, car centric uh, infrastructure landscape. Um, so has the city's built some phenomenal, some phenomenal bike paths and we've seen them climb up in our ratings, but, um, but because they're starting from that such a tough spot and, um, and, you know, a lot of their momentum has been more recent versus cities that might've done some of their investments some decades back, you know, it's, it's just not as apparent because they're not, you know, they're not in the top 10 and it's going to take a long time for a city like Austin to get into the top. Um, but there's a lot of great, great progress mm-hmm. being made. Okay. Let, let's come over to this side of the pond. And, and let's talk to, to Malcolm about Mal- Malcolm. How much um, are you familiar? Well, let, let's let's rather than talk about uh, London and Manchester, which I'm familiar with. But, uh, let, how familiar are you with West Midlands and, and what's been happening there? Um, reasonably, but not not massively. I would say, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's there's quite a good um, amount of effort there's going. There's political on in that movement space. there, isn't there? There is there P- politically. Is. That, 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 I mean, I'm sure that comes up high on any rankings is when you've got the political leadership taking an interest. Well, that's that's the absolute critical step you need. So yes. West Midlands has that. It, it does. It does. 
and that's undoubtedly making some inroads. But it also shows up that they 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 probably are only really just getting started. Um, mm. So you're not necessarily going to see that in the data. I mean, Coventry is a good example that I used recently in another conversation where they they scored pretty low in Coventry. You know, the birthplace of the bicycle as we know it. Um, mm. I know for a fact mm. that there is there are some really good things going on in that in that city and in that area, mm. that part of the West Midlands. Um, but it's well, they have Adam Tranter yet. as the as, as the um, active travel canoe who is kind yeah. of doing great things. But you're right, it's 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 from a low start. It, it, yeah, exactly. Um, but it, you know, every, this is not a, a definitive um, statement of what your community or city is necessarily doing. It's a it's a way of measuring where things sit, and it's almost like a snapshot, a snapshot in time. Um, and, you know, and I think you're right, 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 right back to the beginning when you talk, talking about Paris, if we looked at you and I perhaps went to Paris 10 years ago and, you know, tried to get on a bicycle and it, and pre the, the bike share system that they had, even when they had it for quite a while, you, you took your life in your hands and it's only mm. in the recent past when you've seen massive, uh, uh, in, in not so much investments, but initiatives on the part of Anne Hildago, the Parisian mayor, mm. that you, you have transformation. Um, so I think we have to be very w- conscious of those kind of conversations when we're saying to a community or a city, oh, well, you only scored 32. Well, I mean, it's, it's a snapshot in time. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge in a way. It's a, it's a way to start a conversation, which is all, which is all you need here. Malcolm, we, we both came in, into the industry when and I mentioned before about John Burke being, being a champion of bicycle advocacy, and that's now mainstream in the industry. Is that what you do? You know, the UK Bicycle Association is, is hugely into, into bicycle advocacy. But the, these organisations, when we came into the industry, were not uh, anywhere near as in touch with, with bicycle advocates as they are now. So my, my question is, from an industry perspective, do you see, do you think you can you can track where there's lots of good built infrastructure, you sell more bikes? Can you get as granular as that? Or is that just in, too hard to, to, to track? I think we can get that granular. What, what the industry lacks is where bicycle um, jobs and bicycle sales because that's what we're talking about where they where they have enough data and enough data in detail to match that into geographical space i think we're actually quite fortunate in the uk in as much as um, the bicycle association of great britain has a very good um, set of data that they've been working on that, that does describe very well where where the bicycle economy is and i think that's quite valuable mm. so overlaying that kind of data with you know the data that that Rebecca's presenting here, or people for bikes presenting here, will be will be interesting, and we need that's the next kind of phase of the kind of work we need to do because I think we know politically, of course, economy matters. You know, and that's what pe- politicians want to to have a successful community. They're going to have to have a strong economy, and if we can show, so you can line the two maps up. You could say, look, if you put the infrastructure in, or if, you, if the industry supports infrastructure or supports advocacy in, in, in general, this leads to a, a recognisable uptick in sales. Yes. 
I mean, it, in some ways, that can be a, a negative for the industry, right? So I can sit in a room with a with a bunch of local politicians and say we should have more bicycle infrastructure, and the first thing they're going to say to me is, "Well, of course you'd say that because you want to sell more bikes." It's been interesting for me. Um, one of the things we did here was we we rated Milton Keynes because that's our hometown. There's Trek in the UK. That's our hometown, and I've had a couple of conversations with uh, local politicians in the room. And you know the community of who has a vested interest in cycling, and it and it sparks a conversation. It it talk it gets people talking about okay, well, how do we improve the the infrastructure from an active travel standpoint, which is really what we care about, and what does it mean to to the economy? What does it mean for our for our community, for our citizens, people who live here? Rebecca, I know that Trek um, does have its its fingers uh, very heavily in the bike share pie uh, in many US cities and perhaps even worldwide. But just talking about um, um, bike share in general, because Paris, if if you you kind of like try and work out where did Paris's bike revolution come from? Well, many people, myself included, would would certainly put Vélib'. You know, when the when the the bike share was put in, that seemed to have some sort of transformation um i'm just getting more bikes more visible because many more people because it was made made uh, democratized democratized bikes you could get more people on bikes with a, a bike share scheme is that something that ranks highly in city ratings if a city has a bike share in it's guaranteed to get x number of points and it'll lead to some sort of exponential rise in cycling overall yeah so we so currently, the ratings does not include measures related to bike share or other access to bikes themselves. Um, we actually used to include more measures in our city ratings. We had a variety of data sources we used to measure multiple different facets of bicycling, which is really interesting to see those sort of different views. But um, we found a couple challenges. And uh, one of the main ones was that when you're measuring bicycling in a lot of different ways, when you want to talk about, well, how do you improve your score? It, it ends up being quite a long list of things you could do <laughs> to improve your scores. And there are, you know, I always say there's there's a thousand ways to improve bicycling, you know, but um, you kind of have to focus on a few <laughs> at a time to really, uh, to really kind of center your, you know, center your work and, um, and, and be effective in a given area. And so we decided to make our city ratings very narrowed and focused on the infrastructure in a city, uh, the infrastructure on the ground, um, not not including bike share stations. So, but we do actually, as an organization, we have a program called the Better Bike Share Partnership that is focused on bike share and specifically um, equitable access to bike share. So, ensuring that the way bike share functions, it um, is accessible to all kinds of people throughout the city. So, we definitely recognize that as an important part of the the whole kind of ecosystem and bicycling. And similarly. Um, a, a, another another piece we don't measure, but that we know is so important is bike parking, um, just the availability of bike parking. And you know, I would I I would love to see uh, a similar ranking system that's for bike parking in cities. Um, sort of one of my dream extensions of this at, at some, one day. Um, but uh, yeah, but we did the, the ratings is very is is very focused on infrastructure on the ground because we wanted to communicate that that is a major priority. Um, and that we're not going to see the kinds of shift um, in, in, in bicycling that we want to see until you know that infrastructure gets built. Um, but that said, we recognize all of these things are very complementary 
um, and and important to to supporting people and enabling them to um, to to ride. So um, yeah, so definitely uh, uh, very supportive of cities that are investing in their bike share systems um, as a way to help get get more people riding. Now, before you're also saying um, that. Uh, uh, You've only got a certain amount of of, of, of international uh, data here. So you, you obviously started 2017 with uh, with American cities, and and, and you've been growing uh, with the European statistics. So this is maybe a, a, a tough question uh, for you to answer. But the city of Seville in Spain, rather famously, almost overnight, not quite overnight, but almost overnight, uh, you know, laid down. A, a, a bicycle network and in in your ranking systems uh, you, you wouldn't you weren't doing it that when they were doing it but if they had been doing it when when you were doing your rankings they would have gone you know from this very low score presumably to a very high score in in the space you know of, of you tracking it over a year so do you see any indications that there are potentially more civils out there cities that are willing to just flip and just completely change overnight? Or do you think this is going to be a, a very long term, over 30 years uh, a, a, a kind of a time scale? Yeah, you know, we, uh, I want to say there are tons, but there, you know, there are a few. There aren't that many. <laughs> there are a few that are kind of positioned um uh, like Seville to to make a quick change, and I think and and any of Paris does again come to mind as just the, the one that's that's really made that kind of rapid pace of change. Um, but then there's a lot that are looking at these longer these longer time horizons. Um, and you know, actually, a lot of our work, some of my colleagues' work that's complementary to mine, is to work with cities that show that promise towards being able to make rapid change. And and help provide them tools and resources to to get on that different trajectory, to get on that that faster trajectory, um, because we know that there are a few things that that help cities kind of move from that long term horizon to that shorter term horizon, and that's you know building political will, that's supporting advocates um, so that they can hold leaders accountable, and also you know uh, uh, supporting changing public sentiment so that people understand. You know why these investments are being made and how it will benefit them um, over time, so that they're supportive of the project. Um, and then, of course, finding the dollars if they aren't there, um, um, finding the dollars to invest in the infrastructure. So you have to have all of the right ingredients come together for that kind of rapid pace of change. Um, and we're definitely seeing that in in a few cities, you know, in the U.S. that that movement towards that, um, and and some cities that have made a lot of progress in a relatively short period of time. But um, but if they don't have the political will, the political leadership there to do that, you know, it's 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 very, very hard, if not impossible, to move at that that rate of change. So it's really important that that groundwork is laid. And I'd say a lot of the places that have the potential to move quickly are in that um, political will building, capacity building stage. Um, but they're they're getting closer, definitely getting closer and um and and there there are a few cities I can think of that we are seeing a, a relatively good pace of change. So um, Cambridge, Massachusetts has uh, done you know, a lot of work around implementing policies to um, build out their to support building out their bike network and investing in the 
you know, uh, financial resources they need to do that. Um, and we're and we're seeing that change happening. You know, their score is going up. Um, and so, I, you know, you see those kind of signs of places that are starting to move more quickly. And I'm hopeful that in five, 10 years, you know, we'll we'll have a few more of those examples like Seville that um, that have 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 proven they, they can make a lot of change in a relatively short period of time. But um, yeah, mm. still more places in that sort of groundwork phase. Um, and we're, we're working with a few cities to try to try to get them on that faster growth trajectory. Okay. And, 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 and Colin, I would, I would add, yes. I would add to that, that mm. there are cities in, in England for sure that, that you see quite significant mood for change. Um, you know, I'm thinking about Oxford, for example, it's not part of the ratings, but, um, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing political will there, you know, make change quickly even some of the london boroughs i mean hackney hackney didn't used to be a great place to be a cyclist and it seems to have come out of the out of that in the in a very recent past so i think there is there is traction there and there are examples all over the place of things can can be better and when they are made better people want that they like it mm-hmm Okay. Well, that's a very positive note. I'm, I'm going to end there. Thank you very much to, to Malcolm Davis and to Rebecca Davis. Not related. We, we kind of like uh, established. <laughs> as far as we know. <laughs> yeah. Jeanette, Jeanette, you need to go like do a genetic test. You just never know. Um, some, some <laughs> common ancestor. Um, uh, so thank you ever so much for, for, for spending the time talking to me today about um, the city rating schemes. Uh, Re- Rebecca, where can, where can people find out um, give me the website, basically, of where people can find out uh, about where their city uh, or where they can complain, as I, as I started, where, how they can complain to get their city on, on the city rating system. Yeah, thanks. Um, cityratings.peopleforbikes.org um, is the website uh, where they can see all the results. And um, yeah, submit the Add My City form to us and uh, we'll try to get try to get their city ranked next time we update the results. Thanks to Rebecca Davis and Malcolm Davis there. And thanks to you for listening to episode 325 of the Spokesman Podcast. Show notes and more, as always, can be found at the-spokesman.com. In the next episode, already in the can, I talk philosophy and cycling with authors James Hibbard and Max Leonard. But meanwhile, get out there and ride.